Welcome aboard the Wildlife Express. Please keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the train, and make sure you sit all the way back in against the seat. And keep an eye on your children. It'll be a seven-minute train trip to Rafiki's Planet Watch, but we're going to be diverting a little bit to go to Zootopia. So, <laughs> have fun, everyone. Why didn't it click that you were going to do something from Animal Kingdom? I know you said, oh, I have a spiel ready. and then... be Because Animal Kingdom is the perfect place for them to build a Zootopia land. And what do they do? They make Pandora <laughs> instead. <laughs> R- Rafiki's Planet Watch. That's a deep cut. <laughs> I thought that might be. The funny thing is, I don't think I've ever been. Every, and all the times I've been to Walt Disney World twice. Uh, I've never been to Rafiki's Planet Watch. I, Rafiki's- maybe the next time. I have been, and Rafiki's Planet Watch, I cannot for the life of me fathom why it needs a train to get to it, because it is not a destination. <laughs> it, is like, <laughs> it is like a room. It, it's like a visitor center at a national park. It's a room with a handful of exhibits strewn around, and that's about it. Like, I, I do not know why it needed a steam train to take you there. There's a, I know there's a petting zoo, and... Maybe because, well, I mean, the, the train trip takes you through some of the backstage areas, doesn't it? Yes. Well, they want to relive the moment when Simba himself took a steam train to visit Rafiki in his most dire hour. So I think it's really nice to have that tied up with the movies. You know, the Lion King yeah. movies never actually say when they take place uh, in time because there's no humans or human things that appear. So for all we know, nope. it could be the 1890s. I think it's 20... <laughs> I, I think it's 20XX. Yeah. That, that's what I would say, yeah. The far All future. All animals have been replaced with people. Yeah, like a, a lead of battle angels happening like right over the shadow zone or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I think that's what it is. Oh, that, that that's what I would do in like in like an episode of the Lion King animated show or one of the one of the movies. I would just have a subtle moment where where like Timon and Pumbaa come upon like a skull in the sand and say, oh yeah, remember people? <laughs> remember when we used to eat people? Because there were so many of them? Although I guess if their animated show is canon, then it, it's roughly contemporary. Yeah, they go to Broadway in one of the Timon yeah. and Pumbaa yeah, cartoons. Yeah, every, every, yeah. every human is just a man named Quint who, who really can't stand them. Aw, poor Quint. Clockwork <laughs> Quint. Criminal Quint. Anyway, <laughs> we'll stop hijacking this podcast now. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to Animusings. We are on to an amazing start. Yay. I am one of your hosts, Kayla King. I'm joined by my husband, David King. Hi, everyone. And uh, we are discussing Zootopia. But we're not doing it alone. After all, we have a couple other people on this train with us. We have Madeline. Hello. And we have Chris. Oh, that's me. Yes. <laughs> Our friends Aww. from the Land Before Time Land podcast. And, yes. Uh, and coming soon, uh, the the Dog and Basketball Show podcast. Yeah, that's our sequel podcast. Yeah, going to be out soon. I'm excited for that. I like dogs, and I'm lukewarm about basketball. So. Well, don't worry. There are four other sports that you can be interested in. What if I'm interested in no sports? Oh, well, thank God for you, because there's only five sports movies. <laughs> in the 14 and then movie it's just, long And then it's just nine um, just complete absurdities of, of nature. <laughs> Perfect. And nature is what we're here to talk about today. Oh, yes. my God, it is. is it, this is kind That's, of a nature versus nurture thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Kind of. 
as I mentioned, we're discussing Zootopia, which came out in 2016. I, as usual, I provide the history, but I want to just provide my personal history really quick. Okay. Just because I'll grant you that. it is kind of connected to the history of the film. So I actually saw this, I want to say a few days before the movie came out um, in a wide release because it was shown at USC where I was working at the time. And um, I brought our good friend Angie Viper with me to go see it. And uh, it was great. And right afterwards... We had, uh, it was Rich Moore, Byron Howard, and Jared Bush, who are the co-directors and Jared Bush is the writer of the film, or one of the, one of like the many writers of the film, uh, who came in and they gave their discussion about like how they made the film and all that, which is funny because a lot of what I remember they said corresponds with the history that I looked up. Ah, you've got it from two sources then. So yeah, uh-huh. the, I got it from multiple sources. Um, uh, a lot of articles and actually hearing it from the horse's mouth, so. Literally, because it's Zootopia. Exactly. That's why I did it. That, that, you caught that, that, my fun. That expression is offensive to horses. You you, you can't Are say there that. horses in that movie? I don't know if we, we there's zebras. There are zebras. <laughs> Someone let us know in the comments. Are I'm sure there there's horses? a horse in the background of some scene. There are quite a few mammals we don't actually get to see. So, mm-hmm. so you know how I say always say like there's always that one person who's helming it who's like this is my baby. Yeah, that's our trend for our show. After all, yeah, we know. Um, in this case, it's Byron Howard. Okay, uh, Byron Howard. Uh, before this, he co-directed Bolt, and then he co-directed Tangle. Right, Aww. and after yeah. I'm very, he, he knows his stuff, which I'm happy about. Um, after wrapping up Tangled, uh, he went to uh, uh, John Lasseter and said, I want to make our my next film be a furry film. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, John went- Lasseter would probably have been into it now that we know a little bit more about him. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Was Okay, so... <laughs> But you he, know, I talked about addressing the elephant in the room in the last episode. It would have been way more appropriate to say that here. But we've already talked about Lassiter and why it's problematic. So we'll just leave it at that. Uh, well, the funny part is he said um, he wanted his film to feature anthropomorphic animals. And in the same vein as Robin Hood, which is actually one of um, Byron Howard's favorite uh, Disney movies. Hmm. John Lassiter responded by picking him up. And moving him around, holding him as Byron Howard described it, like Simba, and getting excited, saying, absolutely, I will greenlit any furry film. (laughs) He didn't say furry film. I'm just saying, that's my own words. (laughs) And of course, he would never get in trouble for doing anything like that to anyone (laughs) uh, ever again. No, nope. no, absolutely not. <laughs> well, well, you know, that's interesting, Robin Hood, because the, the design aesthetic comparisons to Robin Hood have been made uh, many times with this film. Um, and, of course, uh, Robin Hood is also the, the foundational work in, in the furry genre. Yes. So oh, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's practically the furry Bible, yes. There's, there's a furry <laughs> one there. Um, well, interestingly enough, uh, the original idea for um, 
well, it wasn't going to be called Zootopia at first. It was going to be called Savage Seas, a completely different film. Whoa. Mm. Uh, it was, so the idea that they wanted to keep was it's going to be a modern world with anthropomorphic animals. That was the main idea that got greenlit. And it was just that idea alone. So then um, at that time, Jared Bush is brought in. He's a television writer and um, uh, that Byron Howard got really, they, they both got along very well. And the idea was originally going to be a 1960s type James Bond film about a rabbit spy. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But as they continued to develop the film, most of the animators are like, can we talk more about this world that you've created? That's so much more cooler. What is this animal world that you've come up with? I thought you were going to say somebody remembered they had already made Cars 2. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I'd like to forget that they made Cars 2. And John Lasseter was like, wait, do you still have an idea about Cars that talk? I totally want to do that. <laughs> Like, we've, we've done like five of these movies, John. We can't we can't do anymore. <laughs> we, can't, we can't do this anymore, it's like John. Say, saying the word cars is like saying the word jungle around Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> they decided to keep that whole the 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 animal world this um and use that as the guide for their story. Um, they still kept the uh, protagonist as a rabbit, um, but later on the idea of including a fox character came about because um okay i'll get because oh, robin hood well okay it's gonna that'll come later but um so uh then around this time they brought in rich moore who just finished directing wreck it ralph and uh yeah uh also again, a long time director on my favorite show ever futurama hmm and Simpsons. Well, he was in. Uh, he directed a couple of stuff, but he was mostly a writer and animator for The Simpsons. Um, funny enough, I mean, he's a Cal Arts guy. Um, Makes sense. I, I actually had a chance <laughs> to talk with him personally. Very nice guy. I, That's awesome. So, because uh, I uh, before this, um, they had a behind the scenes for Record Ralph that I actually did attend, and uh, there wasn't that many people there. So Rich Moore was able to just chat with people and I got to talk to him. I was so grateful. He's so nice. That's awesome. Um, That's super cool. Aww. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, uh, a lot of the people that joined in on this film were very intrigued by the idea of um, creating a world where basically there are no humans, but animals who have evolved to basically human level intelligence and created a modern society. They love the challenge that these ideas presented. Yeah. So uh, they visited multiple places, including the Natural History Museum, the LA and San Diego Zoo, as well as Animal Kingdom. I like that I put in my notes D-A-K, which is the... DAC. So DAC is actually the uh, uh, Disney cast member um, logo for... Oh. So you know how there's lingos? Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. There's shortened things. DAC is for Disney animals. Disney's Animal Kingdom. Gotcha. Anyway, they went in to study uh, animal behavior, but um, the thing that actually drove the story further was their trip to Kenya, and they went to see a watering hole. Um, I'm going to be saying a quote from um, Byron Howard. So he said, The funny thing we noticed was that during the day, the lion would come in and drink right next to zebra and gazelle. All these animals, norm they normally eat, and it was fine. 
The roles are different during the day. We thought that's very much like human beings. You have this predator group and prey group. They don't always get along, but for some things, they have to figure out how to coexist. We started thinking about the predator group and prey group, and if they evolved, would they put that deep-set fear about each other aside completely, or would it still be there somehow? I re- I think that's really interesting um, that they, they got that from the watering hole, and I also love what that implies about crocodiles. Uh, <laughs> crocodiles are just like, hey, wait, there's this uh, scenario in which everyone lets their guard down. Uh, we can exploit that. So I'm sorry to interrupt again, but like, can I just say how funny it is that like everyone is just like freaking out over this like just completely just new revolutionary idea of uh, anthropomorphic animals in a city. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Like the thing that's like, um, I'm sorry, like 90% of all animation ever. <laughs> like, that's really amazing to me. I think it's, uh, it was less the idea of the animals in the city and uh, the idea of creating this, this. Like a really heavily involved world that's where the rules are like really clear and apparent. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the. Because, wor- like, like, if you look at, you know, Duckburg. Or Spoonerville, mm-hmm. or Cape Suzette, or any of those places in a Disney afternoon series, Saint Canard, they're basically—I mean—they're basically just people who happen to be animals. Yeah, it's, uh, it's with, kind of BoJack right. Horseman rules. Yeah, it's oh, you know, there you go, BoJack Horseman. Although BoJack Horseman lightly dips into the kind of stereotype jokes that Zootopia is entirely based upon. Well, we'll get to it. Never we'll really get makes to that, that. The, full, the full emphasis, but yeah. Well, and putting a further pin in it, I do also want to address uh, Black Sad at some point, but we'll get to that. I don't know if y'all are familiar with this, but I'll get to Black Sad later. Um. So uh, anyway, so that's the idea of the whole predator and prey thing came about because they knew they wanted to keep a. Uh, a, a rabbit character or a rabbit main character. But then they, one of the things they noticed was that the fox was basically the predator to the rabbit's prey. And they thought, oh, what if we pair them up? Like, um, that would that would make a good partnership or it would make an interesting partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how the whole fox came in. I think the one thing, and this is the main thing that's going for Zootopia that actually makes it stand out from other anthropomorphic animal movies because you're you're right it's like what's the big deal we've had so many of these but i think it's the idea that first of all the animals are to size for the most part like um uh, judy is actually the the size of a rabbit uh elephants are the size of elephants etc etc and the whole world of Zootopia is made to accommodate every single animal in some way or another. Mm-hmm. And this includes like, oh, we'll have a jungle environment and that's a district where um, people who are accommodated to living in a jungle will live and the tundra, etc., etc. I think that's what people, the animators were getting excited about. Like, oh, that's unique. Yeah, they there's, latched onto the lot of, world building. There's a lot of design potential in that for sure. Yeah. It was just not like a regular city. Yeah, exactly. they, no, like I totally get that. I mean, Zootopia has the jungle level, the desert level, the water level, <laughs> the snow level. <laughs> snow level. 
I hate those snow physics. They're so fun. I know, so but terrible. at least at least we didn't end up in the water level for too long. So, yeah. um, the way they described Zootopia was a meticulously designed chaos. Um, <laughs> and actually, one of the things they actually brought in experts. Um, they brought in zoologists to advise on like how certain species would move, as well as um, specialists on Americans with Disabilities Act to basically construct the city in like, well, how would you adapt a city so it would be accommodating to someone with a disability say and that's kind of like where um like having a two inch character versus a 27 inch character oh yeah or a a 10 foot character living in the same world Mm -hmm. another thing they did too was they interviewed a lot of female police officers about like the troubles they face and one of the troubles they had was finding male officers willing to work with them Mm. Um, and, but here's another interesting thing though. So for the longest time at, like, this was only just a year before this came out. Nick was supposed to be the main character. Really? The focus was going to be on Nick and his story, but then they realized, you know what? No, 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 no. We need to switch it. So Judy is the main character. And the main reason being is that Judy is much more positive compared to Nick, where Nick already has this bias and already has this like, oh, well, this is how tough the city is and all that. And so one of the things with, uh, if you're in, when you involve a world um, that the audience doesn't know about, it's good to have a surrogate or an audience surrogate character to help guide you into that world. Right. And Judy serves as that kind of perfect surrogate, if you think about it. Because it's like, yes, she grew up in the world of Zootopia, but she still is this. She's still new to the city of Zootopia. Right, we're seeing it through her eyes. Yes. Yeah. Um. And then uh, they also noticed that she kept stealing the spotlight whenever they wrote, wrote the story, and they're like, "Why are we still focusing on Nick? Clearly, she's the lead." <laughs> um. And this was just a. A year, by the way. A year before the film came out. Um, and actually, if you see early like artwork, one of the main artworks that you see is a fox uh, walking through a sur- city surrounded by a lot of rabbits. Mm-hmm. Mm. And then him just looking at a place. Mm-hmm. So it was clear that based on that artwork, he was supposed to, it was supposed to be his perspective. Huh. Um, and one of the things they noticed too is... Um, uh, for the most part, they realize the film is mostly about gray areas. Because mm-hmm. uh, one of the things, too, is like, well, they wanted to use animal stereotypes because it's still a comedy. But at the same time, a lot of these animals still go against what they're like, what they're um, what they typically do. OK, so, for example, you have a uh, jaguar character who eats a lot of donuts Yeah, is not even terrifying at all. Well, he's following all the cop stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So he's a different kind of stereotype. He's a different kind of stereotype, but um, it's just interesting that they chose like, uh, no, it's he's a cheetah. I'm sorry. He's a cheetah character. He is, a, is he? Yeah. Is he cheetah? Yeah, I think so. Right? Uh, It really doesn't matter, but. He got. Uh, he, he's, he, still, he's still a predator type. He's a predatory. A predator type. Predator cat. Yeah. Um, 
Another thing too is uh, just because I always have to talk about like what the what new technology they used, and this one was called iGroom, which um, gave them precise control over the fur. <laughs> it was released in the U.S. It's also the first film that was released on IMAX since Treasure Planet. Oh, weirdly enough, how well did Zootopia do? Well, um. <laughs> I mean, it only grossed $341 million in the U.S. and $682.5 million worldwide. Nice. Leading to about a billion point zero two four. Wait, that did not make sense at all. Leading to a worldwide total of $1.024 billion. This is the second highest grossing Walt Disney animated feature at this time, right after Frozen, which, if you recall, made $1.2 billion dollars wow wow people like the people like the rabbits <laughs> yep that's it they like Pe- the rabbits people like rabbits yeah yeah just uh, rabbits and uh, no, no other reason uh no. yes well actually uh most of the reviews were positive um they called it funny um and a lot of people uh well it seemed like it was split in terms of what um reviewers thought of the message about um the harm of prejudice and xen- uh, xenophobia uh, one reviewer apparently compared it to Crash, which is very unfair. I remember this. I remember you telling me about this and me shaking my head. To Crash, which is not a good film at all. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. But anyway, um, that's the history. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you for yeah, delving into it that far. Interesting. Uh, how, what's your connection with the film? I, I kind of gave my, I gave mine already. I've only seen it once, I think. Yeah, I've actually only seen it once myself. Although, interesting enough, you and I uh, both talked about this movie on a podcast before. Uh, we were on our, our fellow Benview podcast, now the now sadly retired uh, Nerd's Eye View with uh, Andrew and Jordan. And uh, we had both seen it separately, but we actually talked about the film right after we'd seen it. I actually saw it the day before we recorded, and I had to find a theater to see it in, because um, uh, on a you know very quickly. And man, you could tell it was a hit because the kids in the audience were loving it. But I was also the only uh, like solo adult in the theater, <laughs> so that was interesting. But then again, I had to go see it at like a matinee performance, so you know. Uh, my personal history, though, but I guess I'll say that. You know, the over, overwhelmingly, though, I remember really liking the movie. And then, of course, watching it again recently, it's like, yeah, everything I liked about it still holds up and then some. I, I think this is fantastic. And uh, I've been really excited to talk about this, uh, this film. How about you guys? Uh, I saw the film when it came out, um, and I remember really loving it at the time. Um I, I, I've seen it like one or two more times since then, including uh, today. Um, and we'll, we'll get a little more into this in a minute when we start just kind of freely discussing the film. But uh, this film hits different now than it did when I first saw it. Um, and uh, unfortunately, not entirely for, for the better. Um, I, oh. have, I have... I uh, have... More refined political uh, and social opinions now than I did when I first saw this movie, which caused me to see an awful lot of um, of flaws in this movie's metaphor and its messaging, uh, 
which we'll talk about more in a, in a minute. But um, I still think it is, uh, in in all ways except its its um, its messaging, a very good movie. I wanna I wanna say that it's it's extremely uh, beautiful and well structured, well written, funny, well designed. You know, everything just on a on a filmmaking level is really really good about this movie. But uh, I have I have some thoughts about the 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 kind of sloppy uh and unintended messaging of this movie but we'll get into that in a minute uh madeline what what do you have to say about your experience with this movie um yeah honestly uh same uh uh, chris and i watched it um uh earlier this afternoon this is that this is the second time i've seen it uh first time i watched it i remember really liking it like oh my god this is so good i love this movie but Watching it now, it's it's really bizarre. Like all of these, like little moments that I liked uh, the first time I watched the movie now just seem like weird and surreal. And I think part of that is because yeah, my my personal uh, politics have have shifted quite a bit since I first saw this movie, and things that I think I was able to excuse a lot more or not think about the first time I watched it was now just like blaring at me like a siren. So I, yeah, I have some, some thoughts on this film for sure. Yeah. Um, shall we just kind of, do you, do you guys want to just dive right into that? Yeah. Uh, let's dive into the film, shall we? Let's All right. dive right in. Like we're going to be jumping from the train into the tundra. <laughs> Oh no, it's cold. Well, yeah. it's the only place I've seen an extensive body of water in this uh, entire area, so. Aww. <laughs> um, That's all right. Polar bear plunge. Yay. Uh, I, I'm with Chris on terms of the. Uh, I'll, I'll start with the positives. Like, this is a beautiful film, very oh well gosh. animated film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the care that went into the world building in this is insane. Um,. Uh, yeah. And uh, another thing too is the fact that um, I think Judy and Nick have good chemistry. Not even like let's throw away the fact they never become a couple. I I never thought of them as a couple. A whole um, lot of people on DeviantArt did. Yeah, they did. A lot of people <laughs> on DeviantArt would vehemently disagree. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that they didn't end up being a couple. I like the fact because I I always hate the fact that it's like oh we have a male and a female character they're obviously supposed to get together in the end and it's like but why um yeah, i mean that's why uh, yeah, it, I'm, I'm with you there uh, as an as an aromantic i i uh, was i'm always pleased at these recent spat of disney movies where they don't put a romance in well it is really sad when they do eventually uh uh rescind on that and have them get together when uh, uh judy gets pregnant and she's debating about whether <laughs> that, to get an abortion or not and decides that, that getting an abortion not, uh, would be uh, against Matt, God. Matt, Matt, Madeline, that was from the darkest timeline. We're okay. We're not in that timeline. Oh, okay, you just cool. saw a horrible oh. glimpse no, of no, something. No, no, no. I, I remember seeing this online. It's real. Somebody we're, sent it to me with a chick, yeah, no, trick track. We, we, don't, um, we don't talk about it. No, it's okay. We don't talk about it. It's from the darkest okay, timeline. Okay, We've shunted cool. it into another universe. It's okay. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Okay. No. We, we no, sent no. we sent that to the second darkest timeline, so that our <laughs> darkest timeline could be slightly brighter. Yeah, I, we're um, only in like the the second or third darkest timeline yeah. right now. No. 
No, I'm, oh, I'm just no. talking about the darkest timeline where that would have been canon because I did see it too. And yes, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Oh, did she? Oh, did you disassociate and see it too? That's yeah. cool. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, that that yeah that comic exists in that same plane where like uh, a lint in your eye appears that you can't like fully focus on. Mm-hmm. It's in that dimension. Yes. Um. <laughs> Jeez. I also like the fact there's so many. I mean, there there's a lot of stereotypes and all that, but there are so many story tropes this could have fallen into, but doesn't. Like, and I'm not gonna lie. Like when I first saw this film. I was like, oh, it's going to be about, it's going to be this. And I'm like, oh, I guess it's not. Because you have her going to um, uh, police academy. And I'm like, oh, God, is a lot of it going to be dedicated to her struggles in police academy? No, it's only like two minutes. And then she exceeds with flying colors. And it's like, great, let's move on. I'm glad to hear it. And Top of her class. Top of her class. There's, it's not there's not much time dedicated to it and i'm grateful for that because i think a worse movie would have only focused on that and then the ending would be and she made it (laughs) yeah that would have been pretty boring for sure Mm -hmm. yeah it definitely works um to have her come to the city with all these high-minded ideals and then you know find out that it's not as easy as she uh was expecting yeah i kind of want to go uh uh, through this movie from the beginning um if that's okay yeah. Um, because, yeah, the, the opening of this film is is a lot stranger than I remember because um, in in my memory, I remember this, this opening scene of uh, young Judy doing a a play was like a, a school presentation, like a founding fathers esque, um, you know, like monologue that we we all had to do when we were in like grade school. But apparently, this is just like a talent show at a <laughs> farmers market or something. Yeah, and that that struck it, that struck me too this time. Actually, I'm on the same page as you because it feels weird that they would Judy would put on this play about something that is basically common knowledge. Yeah, like why did she do this? <laughs> this little gray rock is called unobtainium. <laughs> <laughs> same thing too because like in the original I, when i first saw it i was like oh yeah she's doing this for school like as- yeah was school too complicated that, that that just like destroy the world of zootopia so they're like <laughs> we can't we can't include this it wrecks our world building i have no <laughs> idea it, it's i i feel like it was supposed to be a school scene because she goes from the play to getting bullied but like they needed to have her parents there and they needed to establish that the rabbits are a farming community. So they were like, oh, let's just all do it in the same scene. Yeah, it definitely feels like a, a last minute change. And also like the bully is there like making fun of her. It's like, why is the bully watching like a lame uh, talent show at a farmer's if he's supposed to be like this cool bully character? This this it's- town is, is the kind of town where like the post office and the general store are the same building. Like honestly, that's how, that's how kind of... This no, is a po- it- this is a podunk little town, and like considering, um, there's probably nothing better to do than to watch the local rabbit kid make a play about the history of your world. I don't know. <laughs> I, maybe they just got those textbooks in this year about what was going on. So they're like, well, we have to teach the rest of the town what actually happened. They didn't know. So, uh, so the next word I, I've noticed on your notes there is the next note is just the word copaganda. Well, that's uh, that's a larger theme of the film. So I want I, <laughs> I want to get that out of the way because it's kind of the elephant in the room. We we keep saying. Yeah. 
This movie came out in 2016. Yes. I feel like if it came out four years later, it would not be about Judy becoming a cop. Okay. Uh, yes. yes, it would, it would not. Therein um, lies, mm-hmm. you know, one of my uh, kind of changes in perspective on this movie. You know, in 2016, I was, you know, exactly this sort of, you know, uh, attitude about police that this movie has, where it's like, oh, you know, sometimes... Uh, they're corrupt, but they're a necessary thing, and they can make the world a better place, and and you know whatever. But like then, twenty twenty happened, you know, and uh, we all watched the world light on fire, and you know, coming at this movie now as a person who kind of thinks the entire institution of the police is inherently repressive and uh, fundamentally corrupt and ought to be replaced, uh, I uh, I can't get on board with the whole cop uh, aspect of this movie anymore. And I just kept encountering that again and again and again throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, that's, I mean, that's going to be more, more relevant later on in the film when we actually get to the cop stuff. But, but here we're, we're kind of just getting a taste of, of this world, which is going to be harsh for Judy because her parents are immediately like, Hey, don't follow your dreams. Which kind of sets up this this other um, uh, a strangely uh, problematic message that a lot of these movies have, which is to just like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and believe harder. Like we're supposed to kind of like hate the parents for like not believing hard enough in things. Like I, I I think we're supposed to see their attitude as as bad, even though like like life is like <laughs> hard. Like I get where these parents are coming from, but I think we are definitely supposed to see them as like walls in the way of Judy achieving her dreams. Well, I would argue too, that also the, the point I didn't really, I, I just got to me kind of felt that the stereotype of, of rabbits and that rabbits are um, like the idea is that since they're very traditional rabbits they're they want to stay in their little community, have a bazillion children and be scared of things that they don't understand. I, but, that, that, well, that, but look at that. I mean, what you just said is the other thing that's like I can't, I, I can't escape from in my head. And that this film just decides to be like racist while like <laughs> making fun of, of while, while making fun and supposedly like satirizing the idea of racism. This film will also indulge in so much racism to like the strangest degrees. Like what you said. Like yes. These rabbits are supposed to be like scared and timid and they have a lot of babies, but they're also supposed to be like, you know, like the working class, uh, perhaps uh, poverty line people, you know, and they're and they're like depicted as like country bumpkins as having a lot of children, you know, like I would argue this film is absolutely from a, a very. Um, liberal perspective, and by liberal, yeah, yeah. I do oh, no mean yeah, 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 a liberal perspective. And I, by liberal, I mean like modern day Democrats. I mean neoliberalism. I mean all the bad things that are associated with it. And that is the perspective that we are shown of these rabbit characters. For, like for one, context, I, we are we are leftists. We, we are, are leftists. further left than liberal. Uh, not not but, coming at this from a right. Yeah, me and Chris are. I, me and Chris I, are. I think yeah. it, another difficulty too is with this is. Um, and I feel like this is a lot of the case when some of these Disney films up until recently, which with, I mean, Encanto, with Encanto, which sure. later on when we will get into it, I, it surprises me that they went like Encanto actually had a lot of Latin, uh, Latin American individuals working on that film. Like 
the writer was like yeah 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 exactly yeah but well, I have a this, lot to say about Encanto. Just the one thing about with uh, Zootopia, have I? Let me just list the fact that all these men that I had described are white men. Yes. Mm-hmm. All almost all of them are white men, and the only time I saw a woman, Jennifer Lee, is probably the only is credited as one of the story writers, but that's it. That is really telling, um, mm-hmm. because this whole movie. My, my my overarching problem with the with the metaphor in this movie, other than the fact that in real life predators are biologically compelled to eat meat and it's it's not comparable to racism at all, is that the film has a kind of egalitarian form of racism where it's not that there is an oppressor class and an oppressed class. It is just that everybody's racist to everybody else. You know, like in some cases, the predators have power and are racist against the prey. In other cases, the prey have the power and are racist against the predators. So, like, any kind of real-world applicability kind of goes away. And it's it's almost vulnerable to that sort of, like, world where you believe that, you know, th- there are white people that, that believe Black Lives Matter is a racist organization and, you know, that they're, that anti-white racism is a thing. Like, that's... That's kind of the world of Zootopia, where, like, the problem isn't systemic. It's just that, you know, if everyone would just love each other and prejudice would go away, then everything would be fine. Not, and and I, I, would, I would add, yeah, really I, I would add to what you're, what you're saying, Chris, because, like, even, like, I knew a lot of that going in. Like, when, I, when we rewatched it, I remember thinking, like, oh, like, looking back, there was, like, this weird, like, predator-prey uh, racism allegory that didn't quite work but what i didn't expect was how complicated like and weird every signal racial decision is in this film which is like again going back to this rabbit example like that's not a depiction of you know a minority race or women or lgbt or anything like that it's a depiction of rednecks you know, it's a depiction of what liberals like truly do think of people that live in the south part of this country and that they're poor and they just have all of the babies because they're stupid and poor. <laughs> these are literally like set in stone <laughs> stereotypes that, you know, these Manhattanites have about poor people. Well, in this case, it's Los Angeles. Exactly. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, you look at, I mean, just to talk about the art of the movie for a second, um, I mean, I was looking at those those shots of when she gets into downtown Zootopia, just thinking that it looks like a much more colorful and idealized version of downtown LA. Sure. From her position on the like an elevated train. Yeah. Um, and I'll absolutely. get to that in just a second, but we're we're really hitting this out the gate talking about the <laughs> theme. So I want to remember that pin I said I put in there about black sad. I'm gonna take yes. that pin out right now because we're gonna talk about that. Because <laughs> take that what I out. said. So why don't you explain what black? Sad okay. Is? Are either first of all, are either you familiar with black sad? No, I am not. Okay, it's good. <laughs> so, Black Sad is a uh, is a graphic novel uh, that is in a very similar vein to Zootopia, and that it is a world full of anthropomorphic animal people. Except it is our world, and you know, um, it's very much a noir comic. Uh, the main character, John Black Sad, is a panther. He's a PI, and more importantly, he himself has to deal with issues of racism because he is a black animal. Like they, they, it's it's like definitely li- literally a Black Panther. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I mean, there is literally a, a story arc in one of the Black Sad uh, novels 
where there is a group there is a group of white furred animals that are arguing for white furred supremacy. They are known as the Arctic Nation. And so they're really leaning into the like like late 40s early 50s vibe of the country at the time. It's really interesting. And so that, that what is I said closer to what I would like to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it. But the thing is, what I said, and I said this in 2016, too, right after I saw this, because I even brought up Black Sad when we were doing Nerd's Eye View. And I said, this is like diet Black Sad. <laughs> <laughs> because it toes on some ideas, but it does it in a way that doesn't have any real, like, intense meaning. But it's something that can be grasped by the general public. Yeah, one of the tricky parts in the film is there are moments in there that I'm like... I'm like that I'm surprised that they allowed in there that actually portray prejudice or racism pretty well, but then in a small context, I'm thinking like in moments, like small moments. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, There is, there's really only one, moment that that worked for me personally but that we'll get to that because that's later on in the film um but like my but like watching it again like a lot of these moments that i remember thinking were were clever when i was younger like it just doesn't work for me and i i realize now watching it again that a lot of the problems that this film says are race based are actually like more like ableist problems yeah a like, lot of a lot you know? of the movie it, it it it's like it flip-flops between this is racism this is classism this is ableism and so the metaphor is really really kind of muddy but they're all that. kind of presented as like racist even though like no the problem that you're describing is ab- like ableism like when when judy's doing the montage of being in the police academy and she tries to go to the bathroom and, and slips in and falls in like the joke the is about is the size of a pool because it soars yeah like the, the the joke there is supposed to be oh well she's like small well we well that's not a race problem that's an ableism problem that they don't provide <laughs> a toilet that she can use in that program like that's I, a disability you, you issue. know what the issue is i right now that i didn't think of it the issue is, I think they wanted to generalize this as just prejudiced in general. Yes. Like, yes. to represent multiple things, like ableism, um, racism, etc., etc. But the problem with that is, if, the problem with that is, it can't, these are two, all of these are very separate issues that, yes, they do connect. Like there are, there are is connections. Like, but they are still their own very separate thing. Absolutely, yeah. exactly. And while all of this is going on, they're still doing like the, the 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 racial animal stereotypes, which all it really does is go, oh, see, they were right to think that about this type of person yeah, because a lot of, they're just literally like that. There's a lot of gags like that where like. Oh, don't be you know prejudiced in this view about uh, this animal, and then you just see that animal completely embodying those exact stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Well, know, it's, like... it, it, it's it's such a weird mixed message because like you can you you know the movie wants to play with the humor of like what if this animal was a person? You know that happens in a lot of these anthropomorphic things, and they really want to lean into that. And it's great yeah. in little situations where you see how the the city is designed to be like cosmopolitan and, and and include you know different uh species you know like the the little rodentia in particular sticks out to me but there's even one little scene early where uh judy is driving in her little you know meter maid car and 
she's you know right next to the curb talking to I think she's talking to Nick. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you oh, hear I, the, I remember this moment. And a, yeah, and a tiny rodent car is in the little lane next to her and has to go around her because clearly she's driving in the. This is for the small, super small animals lane, and I I don't know why no, I, I don't only even think there. I don't think it is even a, a super small lane. I think that this just this city is not built for everyone, even though like it thinks it is because it's, well, a lot I mean, of these like like little Rodentia is basically a segregated community <laughs> where all the small animals are allowed to live because nothing else is really accommodating. For them, like that's why you see the scene of the little car moving around. Like that's supposed to be like a joke in the film. Like, oh, look at this little car and a big car. There, there is a moment uh, where like she's at the train station and everything there is like accommodating. Like the train yeah. opens up and there's three different sized doors for different sized animals, and there's like a water lane for the hippos to come in. Um, so like that's that's present in in some scenes, but then there's other scenes where it's like, no, these animals stick to this part of the city. Do you think it's one of those things where it's just like what you're seeing is Judy, like initially is Judy's ideal look at what she thinks Zootopia is supposed to be versus what Zootopia actually is? Because like, I don't that- think we ever see Zootopia as a bad thing. I don't think this film ever questions the system that is Zootopia. From a, from a standpoint, it is systemic, but it doesn't address it as systemic. exactly. Well, that that's what I yeah. mean. Like the film yeah. itself, like I know because. You know, as a leftist, and and this is the kind of stuff I look into, like, I know the problem is systemic, but the film itself, Zootopia, does not say that the the, the system is the problem. Here's the interesting part. But, like, on the surface, of course it's systemic because it's based, it's predator and prey, and there's clear issues between them, but they have to live together. It's there's still an underlying issue. But, yeah, but with, the, with yeah. that with that way of looking at it, the message of the movie becomes, oh, we just need to elect the right people. That'll fix well, the system. Yeah, yeah. I, I, what I was going to say is I, I think um, the film depicts the ideal of Zootopia and the concept of Zootopia at, basically as is, as inherently sound, but that individuals within Zootopia behave in prejudiced manners, and that's the problem. That that is kind of what I see in the in the mm-hmm. film. That, okay. That's that's the film's intention, I think. Um, but, is that the idea yeah. is fundamentally sound? But, but it, like it leads people. to these weird moments, like when Judy is 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 first sees Nick, and is um profiling him basically she, yeah yeah like it's supposed to be like it's such a bizarre sequence because it's first supposed to be like oh she's wrong for profiling but then like it confirms she was right to profile this person and there's all these like weird little moments like in the middle of it that like they're being prejudiced because he's a fox and there's like a giant elephant like th- that's the real problem is that this analogy just doesn't I- Work. Uh, the one the one thing that the that I looked on the history is they kept saying it's very gray area because I get what you mean I do like I really do but I think unfortunately because and I think that Nick actually Nick Wilde addresses this later on he kind of does like a lot of people in our world today, we we're kind of forced into a certain stereotype. Yeah. Yeah. Now, see that that part is that part is good, and I think Nick is the most empathetic character 
in this yes. movie, yes. He, he, yes. he is the only character that I actually like in the movie, really, because I, I, I hate Judy. Like, she is kind of a terrible person in this film and does, like, a lot of really illegal shit as a cop. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, but anyway, like, like Nick. Entrapment. Well, here's the thing, because like Nick brings an interesting like wrinkle to this um, analogy of of racism, quote unquote, or just um, oppression in general. That that makes more sense than like the actual oppression message of racism. Like this film doesn't really say this out loud, but foxes like exists in like this third category of citizen in Zootopia. Like the prey are uh, the rabbit, the sheep, the the predators are like the lion. But like uh, Nick is like hated by everyone because he's a fox and they think that he's like shifty and going to steal things. And that allegory or that like, stereotyping actually works I think for the overall message of this film because those are like human traits like foxes aren't naturally thieves Mm -hmm. or like you know sneaky they're just f***ing animals so like you can that makes more sense to say like oh this is how foxes are they steal things like that's something that you can put onto this weird animal allegory the other one of predators you know naturally eating prey that one's messed up because that you can't one-to-one that to any single human being on this planet or you're gonna get into trouble what (laughs) nick what nick depicts is almost does kind of bring up more of a more of a class issue which i think is is really interesting about him like revealing that the problem is not this 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 racial allegory really is a class system like Nick doesn't have any power because of his position as like basically a second class citizen within this world. There's already are first and other class citizens. I you kind of piggybacking off that weirdly enough. I almost feel like you could say the same, but inverse for, even though we don't know much about it of uh, Emmett Otterton, which I see what you did there. Disney, you named the otter Emmett. <laughs> I've seen jug band Christmas. I know what you're, I know what's going on here. Because no one thinks of uh, Emmett as a as anything noteworthy. Mm-hmm. Because you know, otter otter in this universe, the otter has been firmly bracketed into the prey an- or the predator, predator. animal mm-hmm. section, and yet it's only like he's also kind of a weird second class citizen. Because how seriously do they take his se- disappearance? Like, yeah, they don't take it not at all. At all. Be- it, it, the film kind of frames otters as like. Um, the ultimate like mild mannered milk toast predator like he he he's just like some otter you know like mm-hmm. a, he's an like a Ned Flanders person <laughs> yeah well I mean to be fair they don't really take any of these missing cases really seriously well, or they're yeah, not really do- now now the, the 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 cops is where I feel like this already like messy allegory fails like right out of the gate because if the movie is supposed to be about prey versus predator like a lot of the cops are 
prey. They're just large prey, right? Like the head of the organization is a water buffalo or yeah, herbivore. There seems mm-hmm. to be no like like predator prey division within the cops. The, it's just it's whoever's just big bigger gets to be like an elephant's a cop, yeah. you know. So it's more of like an, an ableism thing with the cops. There, there doesn't, <laughs> exactly. There doesn't become a predator. Madeline's very passionate about this film. Well, that's what it is because they're trying to say it's a racist issue when a lot of times it's either an ableist issue or something completely different than race. The tough here's the thing, tough thing with this film too is the story's really good. I loved it because I wasn't thinking broadly about politics in 2016, but now no. that I am, it's impossible to see this film in any other way because you're but, right, but- the story does work. It's yeah. also fucked up at the same time. I mean, time. It's, I, I think it's important because I think it's important we get we get all this right out the gate too because I do want to talk about the parts of the story that do work as a essentially as a buddy cop movie slash mystery involving this like political like political intrigue. But the, well, I guess the intrigue of this conspiracy to like, but in terms of <laughs> beats, there's some really good individual beats in terms of like where like in a broad context of where to take a story that you would think a weaker movie wouldn't do, but then they find a way to make it work. Well, no, we'll this, get this, to those. this film is a pretty I, we'll standard noir like film. Like, it's, yeah. like a lot of this has been has been done before and stuff like Chinatown and, yeah. and things like that. Well, well, I mean, as I said, this is just watered down black sad. This is a this is essentially like the accessible version of a noir slash Buddy film cop. that's dealing with themes that are way too big for mm-hmm. what they're trying to shoot for with a general audience. You can call yeah. it a PG Beastars also. That's... Far less <laughs> far less pornography in this one. That's, oh that's, boy. That's probably the main kind of th- thing about this movie is like if it was just like a noir set in Animal World, we wouldn't we wouldn't be having this conversation. Exactly. You know, we'd be having a conversation about how fun it is as a noir in an animal world because it is. But the film like begs us to think about the real world implications of it it's constantly it's, it's so reminding us but like it it can't it's because of this film's ambitions to, to that effect that we have to have this this ex- extremely political you know reaction to it because it's asking us to i think you brought up earlier when we were watching it like if this was the Sing movies, we wouldn't be talking about any of this. Exactly. Those movies don't care. Like I, I personally <laughs> love the Sing movies. I would never say they're better than Zootopia because they're very fluff, you know, cutesy movies. But because they don't take themselves seriously and don't really think about the world building all that much, except let's get these animals voiced by celebrities to sing pop songs, you never think about any of that because the film never asks you to think about it. Zootopia is asking you to think about it all the time. Like when Judy first enters into the police district and the, 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 the cheetah character says, oh, you're so cute. And Judy's like, oh, you know, cute's R word. Like, you're not allowed to say that. Which is like, wait, so is Judy supposed to be, like, a, a, a black character then? And the Predators are supposed to be white people? I'm into that movie. I would think that would be a much better movie. Like, look at a, a film that I think does an allegory and and a much better way. Not perfectly, but, like, look at something like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where the, the cartoon characters are supposed to represent black and minority figures uh, in America and at that time. Like, the analogy is still a little sketchy, but it's so much more believable and works so much better because they really think about it. And that's also a PG film. 
this movie is just so much more sloppy with its allegory. I, I think one of the things, so for all the people that they spoke with, what they sh- who they should have spoken with is people who had diversity communities or something or because mm-hmm. um, I mean they spoke to police like female police officers, those with disability acts. I think they were more focused on creating this unique world that they didn't understand the implication. And I the exactly funny, I agree the, with that. Here's, here's the funny part too. This sort of thing also happened with Princess and the Frog. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea behind the Princess and the Frog came about because John Lasseter's favorite city of all time is New Orleans. And uh, the directors went over and was like, this is such a beautiful city. Uh, there's so much culture. Yes, we should set our movie there. And they immediately thought, of course, we're going to have our protagonist be black because it's set in New Orleans. They didn't realize the implications of this because they're two white men from the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And then they spent the whole movie like trying to like not have to deal with those implications any more than a a casual reference here and there. Exactly. Because I mean, this is why we have terms like whitewashing, why Disneyfication is used all the time because these films are made by well-meaning straight white male liberals that think that racism has either like been solved or just needs like we need one more senator to win in a midterm to fix it you know like when you have that mentality about your world you have a lot of blind spots yeah like it it if we had made it for example Mm -hmm. it wouldn't first of all it wouldn't be nearly as good uh but second of all it would be about you know, it'd probably be about Judy with these high-minded ideals coming to this city and finding out that the entire system, including the police that she wants to be a part of, is horribly is, corrupt. Yes. And that she has to actually turn against that system. But Disney will never make that movie. From what I've gathered of recent the recent Disney movies, at least with now Encanto, has just came out on Disney Plus like a few weeks ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... I'm seeing the repercussions, and it's amazing. And uh, yeah, there are still a couple flaws, but its heart is in the right place, and it's actually doing something good. So, uh, interestingly enough, there's a reason why they stuck with mammals. Oh, I would love to know it. Um, so they realized, well, one of the reasons is animation purposes. It's easier to focus on one group than it is to include like, oh, now we got to figure out birds and fish and all that. And then another Mm -hmm. thing, too, is what do these animals eat? Because clearly, like, there's predators who eat meat and then not everybody is a vegetarian. And if we had, like, live action fish and live action birds... No, yeah, that's what I figured. It, that's it, interesting. Yeah. It was, there, has, yeah. there has to be stupid animals for the, movie, the predators to the eat. The movie yeah. does kind of dance around, like, what do the predators actually eat, question mark? Mm-hmm. Like, the only time I can remember, like, seeing a predator eat anything is we, we have we have the cop eating donuts. Um, and I don't know if, if a cheetah could eat donuts. Uh, and then we have the, uh, we have, um, uh, uh, the fox character eating berries. 
Um, well, Nick, he Nick, does eat a tiny, tiny slice of shrew wedding cake at one point. But in As, fact, well, uh, I, foxes well, do well, eat berries yeah, because they are on the they board. are omnivorous. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's like that checks out. Well, but yeah, I guess if you if you had like fish were sentient in the movie and chickens were sentient, you'd you'd have a problem. Well, like what do the polar bears eat? They don't show uh, polar Well, bears. I will say I noticed this because you know when when she's taking the train through all the different biomes, uh, when you look down at the the tundra area, there's a fish market. Oh, okay. There you yeah, go. Yeah, so fish are dumb. You can eat fish. That's fine. Yeah. Well, Everybody that's that. in Zootopia is pescatarian. Yeah, exactly. If, if I may, uh, if I may, um, well, not pescatarian because if birds are, uh, yeah, birds are dumb. You can eat birds. Too. If so. I if I may grind everything to a screeching halt just for a moment to be a ridiculous nitpicky pedant about one line in the film, mm-hmm. uh, the mammal inclusion initiative. Everything is a mammal in the movie. Yeah, they're all mammals. That was so confusing. We've we've got mammals missing. Like the mammal, like no, they're all mammals. Is it just supposed to be mammals and predators? Do, do better, three writers of this movie. Do better. There's problems. I actually remember hearing this again from the directors and producers' mouths. Right. Like, oh, this is clear. Like, uh, yeah, you try. Like that's gonna just add more extra difficulty, and then that would mean, oh, how are we supposed to figure out how that works? So it's like, let's keep to mammals. Let's make it easy on ourselves. I, I, think I understand that, that. You know, I want to kind of, you you brought up something that I thought was interesting, like how um, uh, the, the world building, right? How the creators of this film were like more interested in this world building, like having like a savanna area for some mm-hmm. animals and a jungle area. I think that is one of, that. I think that is the best part of the film, but also like the cause of its biggest problems because like they by design want to create this cool world with all these little zones and sections but in this analogy that is literally just segregation you know and you can make an argument I, like oh they need all these environments to live or they can die or all that stuff but it still is like you live here you go to this area well, you go to this area it creates a really strange message that i don't think they intended i mean the implication in the movie is that and this is where yeah it's again this is where the this is where the muddiness of this all comes in because it's like i get that certain creatures would need these area like these environments to be comfortable cuz cuz this is more of a cuz again it's the nature versus nurture thing. What is... Falls in, yeah, falls under the, <laughs> yeah. A, the more the ableism what, sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. like, it's supposed to be like, we're going to be supportive of, of your needs. So here's a community, here's a part of the city, a district, a borough, whatever, where you can live comfortably. But it doesn't mean that precludes you from going to other places. It's not like you don't see... You see everybody in downtown. You don't see, like, anybody exclusively in one section of the town or, or the other. It... When you tie it with the analogies that are trying to lean toward for xenophobia, um, and yeah, xenophobia would be perceived differently in a setting like that with with when it's species. But then, the, then there's oh god. I think the I think <laughs> exactly. Like, I keep you thinking. Know, I keep thinking about that one scene where you know they're in Bellwether's office and she's trying to look up the. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> and and Nick touches her hair, and Judy's like, and he's like, I've always wanted to touch his hair, and it's like. That there's something icky about that. To well, me. it's the same yeah. as like when Judy does a oh you, we can call each other cupid. You can't use that word. Yeah. Like it's it, it's again it's just like it's just using these random stereotypes and kind of buzzword concepts to just vaguely hint 
at the yeah, idea I mean, of race, but, those but are by examples, doing that, it just confuses the whole f***ing thing. Well, those are examples of the movie, like, deliberately wanting you to think about the real world, like, exactly. things they're referencing. Like, you can't touch an afro because you think black people have interesting hair. You can't, you know, mm -hmm. the words and, and things like that. Like, there are always, there are a lot of those moments where, like, there's a one-to-one, -one, like, deliberate uh, reference being made. Um, but then it's not one-to-one -one. at the same time. It's all, you know, muddy and confusing because they're doing it with animals. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, I, it, it's kind of like the film is setting itself up for failure in that regard because yeah. it's, it's asking you to think about things that they didn't want you to think about. So mm -hmm. I, I think here's what I think. The film is well-intentioned, sure, but t intention doesn't equal causation. So, yes. yeah, no, it's like you can't just give an, an A for effort. You, this isn't a macaroni sculpture you put on your fridge, you know? No, this well, is, it's that, there it's are real-world consequences it's, it's that, here. It's that sort of guiding principle of, of film uh, analysis, you know, that we, we learn in film school of, of like, uh, a film is a text on its own regardless of the intentions of the author, Exactly. And the intentions of the author are one source that you can consult in your discussion of the text, but ultimately the text has to be readable on its own, and the messaging that's in there intentionally or unintentionally is valid to talk about. Reader response theory is what we're leaning really heavily into here, at least yeah. from that's what I take away from my there, English classes yeah. another, and my major. There, mm -hmm. there, uh, I remember there were good, like, examples of this. I think uh, these films are much more egregious than Zootopia, but I think like uh, one example is The Help. I think yes. that's... Mm -hmm. the, the Help yes. has yep. quote-unquote good intentions, but it does it so terribly. Mm -hmm. And the focus is the white person is a hero and all that, where I feel like Zootopia is trying more than this movie is, mm -hmm. but it just doesn't I mean, it's hard because I, I do enjoy watching the film. Like, we watched it, we were like, this was so much fun to watch. It is fun to watch. And like it's I said, there are some moments for me that, that do work. Like, I really like, probably my favorite scene in the whole film is the is, is Nick's flashback scene to when he was like a Cub Scout mm -hmm. or whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Ooh, yeah that like hard. that scene, I, I like that scene because... That's a real phenomenon where, like, society, you know, has all these these expectations that you cannot rise above this particular stereotype. So your only kind of recourse is to embrace that. I think it, it you know, in real life, it goes further than just prejudice. And there's a whole economic facet to it where, like, you know, if you're born in a really impoverished, crime-ridden neighborhood and you have you know, family members involved in crime and that's your your quickest access to survival, that's probably what you're going to do because society has forced you into that position. But it does happen also just, you know, with good old-fashioned prejudice and that's kind of what um, what that scene is getting at. And I did find that uh, quite, quite poignant. Well, the first time I watched that moment uh, of that flashback back in 2016, I, I did cry. I, I did think it, w it was a beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because it, it hits a lot of things and it's like, it's definitely interpretive. Like you can connect it with the predator prey metaphor, but it, it's also can just be like, um, an outcast, um, analogy, uh, LGBT, 
mm-hmm. um, analogy, you know, trying to be something that everybody tells you that you you can't be. Mm-hmm. But again, I think that works really well because Nick's plight like makes a lot more sense than the plight of other characters because he again, his prejudices are based around like human things, like not animal things. When you connect when you try to connect human behaviors and animal behaviors and try to make that one to one, that's where the the metaphor um, doesn't work. There's there's a YouTube video by um, oh God, what's his name? Uh, there's a YouTube video about like why the analogy in Zootopia uh, d- d- doesn't work. Uh, Jack Saint is the author. Um, that's really interesting and kind of talks on a lot of these similar ideas. But I I like Nick because like his message works the most. Everybody hates him, prey and predator. So like you. It becomes more than just like biology for the reason why people hate Nick. It becomes something deeper and more tangible, and and to me, I just feels more real than what the rest of this movie is trying to say. Omnivores. omnivores. Everybody hates omnivores. Exactly. <laughs> hey, pick a side. All right. Mm-hmm. No, but no more of this tiptoeing around it. But I, I think that also leads. It's also as we discussed earlier about the whole idea is like Nick is this way because the system or society basically forced him to be this way. Exactly. It's not, and this is what the cards he's been dealt. And I mean, it's like uh, Chris said earlier, like people that are born into crime take basically, that's all they know. And I think that's what makes like, they're, they're trying to have that contrast with, with Judy because Judy is a cockeyed optimist and just like, well, I don't care if they say I can't do this because the stereotypes say I can't do this. I'm going to do this. And yeah, in a stronger movie, she would see this, a corrupt system and, you know, in a, or in a, or a different kind of movie, she would see a corrupt system and, you know, want to get out of it. But so I honestly think one of the, the better moments of, of her, or well, the moments with her and Nick are the best ones, but I also think the moments where like, she like I think we we talked a lot about the moment that I think is is good from a perspective of like a lazier movie would have done this is the fact that it's not a big reveal or anything when Nick points out that she's been carrying the fox repellent the whole time mm-hmm. like you and any other thing would be like a shing shing shock oh my god whoa no he's just like yeah no you've been carrying it the whole time what do you suppose I supposed to think I'm like no I I do like that's that good moment. Yeah. that's good that's good and even like the idea that Judy is trying to be this idealist, but she's still going to fall into like the systemic ideas that have been kind of planted in her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That like, was a really that's good. Ki- that's important point. too. And so that whole thing with the press conference and everything with Nick and her coming to come to terms with that, because she wants to be a good person, but she is also a, she is also a, Product. she, She's in a society. We live in a society. No. Uh, and you know what else? Uh, she's a cop. You yeah, know? exactly. Uh, another, uh, another... She might, when it's she only is able to do the most good after she turns in her badge. Think about well, that. Well, here's what then well, she does get her badge back at the end. Yeah, yeah. she does. Wait, but wait, you know what? I think you're right. If this were if this movie were made today, I think Judy would still would still exist. Be that cockeyed optimist who goes into the police force realizes the police force is corrupt and there would be more defined a- allegories for each animal. 
But Disney would um, ne- never make that movie. Disney yeah, would never make a movie I, saying cops are bad in like any Disney, capacity. Disney wouldn't touch cops no. at all if they made it today, and they just make her like a private investigator or something, or something, <laughs> but something bizarre but, but like I, that. And actually, that's what I, I was gonna say. Like, what would have happened was she would have quit, and then she and Nick would have started their own private investigation uh, investigator agency. Well, I just don't want any cops in these movies. It, it's weird. Like in 2016, I guess this was more palpable, but like in today's time like seeing like judy like basically g- trick nick through entrapment to like get do what she wants just reads so fucking gross now because mm. like this is like of all the horrible sh- like cops do like just seeing like uh judy like do them just straight up for comedy and plot purposes is just like really gross to me it's it's yeah, like oh I- the cops can hustle too. Well, they shouldn't. Oh, the cops! <laughs> yeah. Oh, cops are friends with the mafia. Yeah, they are actually. That's a big <laughs> problem. Uh, <laughs> well, you know they gotta have some people on the on the pay on the pay on the, the take. The voice me. casting in this is fascinating. To- yeah, to, to yeah. Take, take a step back for a moment. Let's acknowledge the, <laughs> the voice uh, actors here. Yeah, I I I am always a little annoyed. When they just cast celebrities in all these movies and they don't give voice actors any roles. I, I did appreciate uh, that Rich Moore brought in some people from Futurama, uh, including mm-hmm. that 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 uh, Godfather impression was Maurice LaMarche. Yeah, we were joking. Uh, we love Maurice LaMarche. We were joking that mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, he, the brain has finally reached his potential. <laughs> what's, what's interesting though uh, yeah, is I noticed he didn't get like an on-screen credit in the the early part of the credits, uh, even though he's in a substantial part of the movie. But Octavia Spencer got got top billing for like three lines that she has as Mrs. Otterton. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's the system for you there. Yeah. yeah, there's a couple of the celebrities who actually are basically have done voice acting and have done, like J.K. Simmons. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he does a good job. Yeah, uh, I don't think any of the voices are particularly bad. No, um, in this film, I think no. at worst you kind of like okay, like it, at worst it's 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 fine. At worst it's fine. I I don't really remember any like real. I don't even really really remember like really any standout voices except for maybe Maurice Lamarck as the the mafia guy. <laughs> but like everything else is kind of the, like yeah, it's fine. Oh, the weird one is Kristen Bell is his daughter. Or playing the oh that yeah. was okay. I was wondering because I saw her name. Like, which character was that again? Yeah, oh, it he, was the little shrew. The little shrew. Yeah, that's yeah. Kristen Bell. Um, John th- John DiMaggio was was an elephant. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, right. that's right. The, the elephant in the ice cream shop, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. uh, Kath Susie from Simpsons and Futurama was uh, young Nick in the flashback scene. May she rest in peace. Aww. yeah. Um, um a nod to uh oh my gosh um was it uh Finnick the the site the little the little Fennec fox the Fennec fox I yeah. I was trying to figure out who that was and then I looked at the credits I'm like it was Tiny Lister Tiny Lister which I don't know who that actor is but that's awesome that this actor has the name Tiny and his voice is that. I've heard that name before. I think I've seen him in something else. It's got to be a stage name for like a huge it, guy, It right? has to. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I, at first I thought it was Kevin Michael Richardson, but you know. Well, I thought I thought uh, the weasel was Steve Buscemi, but it's Alan Tudyk doing a Steve Buscemi impression. <laughs> okay, so I, I, I looked it up. Uh, Tiny Lister is known for his. Well, he was President Lindbergh in The Fifth Element. 
Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know exactly who he is. Yes. And then uh, apparently he's also a wrestler. I believe I, it. I, I'll have to ask Alan about that. He would know better than yeah, I would. Yeah, he would. Jason Bateman. Oh, well, okay. First of all, one of the issues too, for a movie about racism, have you noticed like almost all of the char- like voice actors are white? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, they sure are. That's normal. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, I mean, Jason. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, yeah. I will say though, Jason Bateman is a very good casting choice for Nick. Like, yeah. he really does. Oh no, own Jason it. Bateman is perfect in that kind of in that role. So, mm-hmm. um, of like a, a a sleazy kind of uh, con man. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like I see why their first. Like, I can see that their first draft was focusing on Nick because again, like. To me, Nick is the most empathetic character. Like his plight made the most sense to me. I didn't like Judy. Like even at the beginning when they're like showing her doing the talent show, I remember thinking like she must be like just has like all this energy. Just people pray. At least one of those kids in that talent show was just like, "I love you, Judy. I want to marry you. Please let me be. Let me do this. Please get me out of that." <laughs> She seems like she'd be very obnoxious um, as as a child, but again, like cops suck. I'm sorry, that's a big problem for me with this movie. It has a horrible ending. Nick becomes a cop. That's a bad ending. I I hate that for Nick. <laughs> I mean, again, and the bad guy turns out to be the sheep, because they're giving like crystal meth. Like that's the thing. They're giving like these um. These, these predators crystal meth to go crazy, which is like, that was a weird thing too. They're like, cause Judy's goes back to her home and her parents like, Oh, Oh, don't play near that flower. That makes you go crazy and kill people. And yeah, like, the, 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 <laughs> I watched it the second time. Like, didn't that, ex, that exposition felt kind of clumsy. Didn't it? It did. Yeah. It like, fun. did people not know about this? Like killer flower? That just was I ass. do. Okay. One thing I do, I do like how Gideon gray, the Fox was handled. Is that Gideon gray? Gideon gray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause again, if this were like, a, a, like an earlier movie or a worse movie it would have been like he would have been still the bully that is like oh what are you looking at punk even as an adult but what are you looking no- at butthead yeah exactly but <laughs> the, in- the best tannin of this universe Hello, McFly. <laughs> yeah an entire family generation of of genetically predisposed bullies Aww. yeah but instead he you could tell like all the words he's saying are therapy words and like he says, sorry, I was a real jerk. Um, yeah, he kind of like like models the perfect apology. Yeah, that but that is clearly someone who's gone to therapy. Because <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I have like um, I- I've seen apologies like that from people who is who have said like I uh, it's like I've been in therapy for a while and I just want to say I'm sorry. Da 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 da. And I I didn't like who I was, and I'm like. I kind of appreciate that. Yeah. Um, because it means that he actually grew as a person. And, and was if a... he can, so can you, Judy. Oh, God. <laughs> Weird note, though. Uh, mm-hmm. We were looking at the credits. Um, we were trying to figure out the exact relationship between um, Judy's neighbors, the two. Um, the two. Well, I was thinking about that too. And we we've come to the conclusion that they're a gay couple. 
Because are, the, are it, they are they first gay couple in a Disney movie number nine hundred seventy six <laughs> Alpha? That, well, that does not matter. In I all think they're honesty. just supposed to be like rowdy college kids. Like, it's, but well, no, no, but yeah. they have the same last name, and not just the same last name. They have a hyphenated last name. Oh wow! Ooh. Yeah, they're in the mm. credits, and they're if, as I recall, they're voiced by the directors. Yes, they are. <laughs> uh, Byron Howard and uh, no, I don't think Rich Moore. I think it's. Uh, Richmore was in the voice cast. He was. He, I don't think he was one of the roommates, but I know Byron Howard was one of them. Yeah, the Byron roommates. Howard was definitely one of them. But it was great because they have that moment where they walk by and they just see, do the thing, and then it's like we just we were just kind of joking, like they're just they're just that they're just that married couple who just argue with each other all the time. But you mm-hmm. know that they you know that's just the way they are. You'd be surprised what Disney has snuck in. For oh, I, I, I've seen the. Oh, yeah, well, they snuck in and then removed uh, for Chinese audiences. Yeah, it's no, amazing. no, 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 no. I'm talking about <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm talking about older films. I'm talking about older Disney films. Uh, like if you watch The Great Mouse Detective, oh boy. Uh, <laughs> with uh, Beauty and the Beast, you have um, oh, what, uh, it's uh, Howard Ashman who tried to sneak in as many gay allegories into his songs and actually said out loud, it like was quoted, I can't believe I got away with that. <laughs> I can't believe mm-hmm. I got away with some of these lyrics. Oh yeah, for sure. So the, the, this room, actually, this does all remind me of another moment I want to talk about in this film. The, in, in the ice cream shop scene when like, the, the the little fox like says that he wants to grow up to be an elephant. Mm-hmm. It's like a bizarre <laughs> f- moment in this film. <laughs> what is actually happening in uh, this moment? Uh, I think it's supposed to. Again, it, I think it, this is a more innocent version of this, but it's kind of like the the dumb thing where like kids say, "I want to be a unicorn when I grow up." And then, but elephants are real. But, like, oh, they add the, and, but then yeah. you realize, wait. Well, it's like, yeah. 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 Well, wait, is elephant a job? All... Like, I want to grow up to be the job of an elephant. Like, well, what also... is happening? Well, it's also even weirder because it's a con. So yeah. he doesn't actually yeah. want to grow up to be an elephant. They had to make up this story in order to get the big popsicles, and I'm like, we. It, that is but, even that makes it even muddier. But Judy, also, like, like but Judy's how, all for it. Judy's like, you could be an elephant if you how, want someday. Like, why are you telling a child that? Also, um, they are different species of foxes, and one's masquerading as as the child of the other. I mean, I suppose it could be an adoptive situation. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, I don't know. Can't can a can a red fox in this world give birth to a fed, a fennec fox? That is or, one or is thing. It, or is it a or is it a low key? All foxes look the same. <laughs> Yeah. I think it's that. Yeah. Well, here's an interesting idea. Uh, we never, I don't think we see any interspecies relationships in this film. I think they're all just one to one, the species yeah. that you are. You know what? You're correct about that. That's weird. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there could be meaning, meaningful, committed relationships between people of different species, but it'd probably be in a in a more in a in a more complicated universe where we were really breaking this down and bringing a lot of the real world into it. I imagine such relationships might be frowned upon by the general uh, society, even though these are consenting adults who have a meaningful, loving relationship of some kind. What a weird movie. <laughs> So I, 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 think, yeah, I uh, think, and then there'd be another allegory you could throw in there. As I mentioned before, I again well intentioned, yeah. but miss, but it misses. I hate saying yes, it misses the mark on the. I just in, on the th- on the themes and yeah. the, and what what they're trying to say, 
But then it's hard because they handle, it's one of those things where it's like they handle everything else really well, but then the big important part is mishandled. Well, like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard because like this from, from a story perspective, it's very tightly written. It's got good, it's got good story beats. It's got yeah. fun action it's sequences. Well-paced. It's well paced. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. uh, got good character moments between Nick and Judy um it's got an interesting universe that they build really well a visually stunning movie i think that's kind of the overarching like thing to say about this movie well made and well intentioned but severely handicapped by extremely significant missteps in the message and that's kind of a problem also right like how good this movie is from a story and plot perspective to present like Honestly, bad ideas. Like, even if it's accidental bad. Well, all I think my main takeaway from this, and I, I hopefully your takeaway from this, is that y'all will go and look up Black Sad because I think that's going to be more what I, you're looking I for. Will, can, I will read Beastars. Yes, that is my takeaway. <laughs> I will see. I they will, actually, yeah. They actually have a decent, like, uh, Black Sad actually came out with a um, really decent, um, what do you call it? Adventure game? Yeah. A point and click adventure game where you actually have to solve a mystery. Um, now I'll, ju- I'll just go. I'll just read Redwall again. Don't, don't worry about it. Aren't they? Uh, uh, yeah, Redwall. <laughs> Redwall, which doesn't have any problems or weird allegories with all of its extremely Christian mice and everything. No, it's perfect. It's perfect. No, it's perfect. Series. And yeah. just how all all mm-hmm. uh, vermin are are inherently evil. I'm looking mm-hmm. at you, yeah. outcast of Redwall. You. This mm-hmm. this, ins- this inspires yep. me. We ought to we ought to release our our unreleased discussion of the secret of Nim. If we um if we've kind of exhausted the movie itself and we can we can dabble into some uh, uh associated um trivia, uh are they still building a land based on this film at what was it Shanghai Disneyland? What, oh, I, I, thought I, I have I have no idea. I thought I heard of that at some point. I'd heard of it at one point. I'd heard a rumor about that. I hope that that would be cool, true, because um, just because I would love to actually be in that environment. Again, yeah, taking visually. one of the strong points from the movie, which is its environment itself. Well, we will not be getting a sequel to this movie anytime soon. No. Uh, 2020 put a stop to that pretty, oh, speaking, pretty strongly. Speaking, speaking of canceled movies, did you spot the canceled movie in this movie? <gasps> Gigantic. <Yes>. Gigantic. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. They, 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 there's a scene where they steal the joke from Spaceballs, uh, where the, the DVD vendor is like, we've got movies that haven't even come out yet. So, and it's like, it's like Frozen 2, Moana... And gigantic, which got canceled, all with I, like animal-fied titles. Mm-hmm. I, I find it interesting because you mentioned it's Alan Tudyk. Well, Alan Tudyk is basically their good luck charm. Uh, yep. At, at this point, he's firmly locked in as their oh, good yeah. luck charm. Right now, Alan Tudyk is like, "Yep, I got a consistent career going on right now, being hired by like Disney for every single film. He knows he's going to have some certain role, what whether it's going to be." a weasel or eventually he's a like he's like he, he, he's like disney animations ratzenberger you know he is. he's gonna be he, in, absolutely uh, is. he is responsible for speaking but, my favorite line in any recent disney film which is it's okay she just glazed me <laughs> <laughs> i mean we all king candy is probably his best role yes yeah. like let's but be I, I think the difference between him and john ratzenberger is uh John Rassenberger has one voice. 
Uh-huh. Alan Tudyk actually can voice act. Well, Alan Tudyk's like a good actor. Yeah, yes. you know, he's, he's not he's, 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 really he's not just the 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 mailman from Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love it. I love it. Uh, I, here's here's another interesting thing that this is what I when I first watched Utopia, I thought this was funny too. Like in Disney movies, like. Weasels are just unexcusably evil. <laughs> like they never get a redemption arc. They're just evil throughout. They're this just was horrible. In uh, the Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, it's, yeah, it was. And then, and, it, and then up in, in Who Framed, who Roger, framed Rabbit, Roger Rabbit. Where the weasels are are the cops. That's why they're bad tunes because they're the cops. Well, they're even worse. They're the sheriffs because they're disappointed by the judge. Yeah. So they're actually yeah. Uh, look up uh, <laughs> Weasel Sheriff uh, L.A. Gangs. <laughs> Uh, and we didn't touch on this because we had a lot of other things to discuss. What I appreciate about this this movie from an artistic standpoint is the consistency of the way that the animals are done very mm-hmm. much harkens back to Robin Hood. But now oh, there's yeah. the CG versions. Like, you could put Nick Wilde and uh, Robin Hood next to each other and they would look <laughs> similar. Yeah. They would. They would have mm-hmm. that same consistent uh, Disney design. Same with, like, Judy. You put her alongside a few of the rabbits from Robin Hood. Same thing. Like, it's... I appreciate that sort of design consistency between these. Uh, between well, you know the, the, what the else features. is inter- what, interesting? If you put um, uh, in that Robin Hood movie, if you put Little John next to a uh, Baloo from Jungle Book, <laughs> they'll actually look exactly the same, showing that consistency between uh, movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite Disney corner cut of all time is in the movie uh, The Sword and the Stone where I counted last time I watched the movie. They play the exact same recording what were, uh, five whoa. times in that film. Five Please tell me times. it's what were, whoa. Oh, no, it, that's it. Yeah, it's whoa, what, whoa. So with Zootopia, I think as an adult after 2020, I do think you sh- people should watch it, but like as a, a way to now analyze it. I think it's a really interesting uh, artifact of, of a pre-20... 16 it came out like right at, i think it's like towards the beginning of march 2016. march 2016 march 2016 like in a pre-trump world like before QAnon, before all these like really crazy things started to happen it really does seem like when the world was looking up when the world was looking up and <laughs> when we white people were looking up white people is. were looking up and didn't realize how bad things were about to be this is a fascinating movie because mm-hmm. when you look at something like this like post charlottesville like post so many things that have happened since then, it really does just seem like bizarre. And uh, this movie, I think, could only have been made in 2016 mm-hmm. because if you made it three years later, you know, it's no longer exactly the world for it. If you made it three or four years before, like before kind of woke became like a thing that was really getting Hollywood's attention. I don't think the subject matter would have been as, as appealing to them, you know, a few years earlier. And so I think like it's very specifically a 2016 mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Thank you both for joining us for this. This is sorry. This was, we were kind of spicy. spicy on this one. That's all you right. Know, I mean, it sounded like you liked the movie, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I I can fully acknowledge the movie has problems, but yes. uh, still enjoy it. 
I, yeah, I don't, I mean, there's I don't, a lot to there. Fun. There is a lot to enjoy. Like you said, the the animation is great. The world building is interesting. The um, characters are pretty good. It's just like all of that bad. That that's what really hurts it for me. Right, well, and it just I think it's just it's a matter of like you know your mileage may vary with this, but I I still took away a lot from it in a positive light and I while fully acknowledging that like ooh yeah ow and actually I feel like this discussion has been pretty enlightening in that degree even with all that the parts of the movie that work uh, even I even confronted with the parts that don't the parts that do like in a vacuum they do and like I would love to see more of that kind of good snappy um like the, some of the good snappy dialogue the fact that they're we're avoiding certain cliche beats uh, mm-hmm. One I thing still, that yeah, rank this among the the sort of high point of the uh, new Disney Renaissance. Yeah, uh, I would say that too, mm-hmm. and and even finding ways to put in pop culture references that somehow don't feel dated, like the fact that they could get away with a Breaking Bad nod. That is kind of goofy in twenty twenty two. But it is. Like, it yeah. is. But it. I don't feel. But on other things I've seen. I mean, we're gonna get to Ralph breaks the internet. I'm not looking but, forward to that. <laughs> that that's crying. the difference. Zootopia is a good movie. Yeah. That's just really flawed, but you have to talk about some truly bad movies. Oh, soon. my God. Uh, luckily, uh, our, the next movie we actually get to watch and review is Moana. Oh. oh. That's a good one. Where can our listeners find you? We have uh, a podcast which is now concluded, called Land Before Timeland. Um, both of our gracious hosts on this podcast were guests on an episode. Um, Yay. Victims, uh, really. No, I'm kidding. In, <laughs> no, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah. In said podcast, we reviewed every single Land Before Time movie, all 14 of them, which means uh, there's one episode in which we heap praise on a beautiful film that we love, and then 13 episodes where we just yell about the most baffling string of ridiculous scenes we've ever seen in our lives. So go enjoy that. Uh, that also in- includes uh, various guest stars. Um, and uh, I-, I babble about dinosaurs a lot in it because I'm a dino nerd. So go check that out. And we will soon be coming out, uh, as of this recording, with a sequel podcast in which we are covering... The other series that has 14 movies, Air Bud. Uh, mm-hmm. Believe it or not, there's 14 Air Bud films. That podcast will be titled A Dog and Basketball Show. Yes, uh, but if you subscribe to the Land Before Time Land podcast, it will be the same URL, the same thing. So you can just continue uh, right into uh, the Air Bud once we release those. It will probably the names will change, but your it should not affect your subscription uh, to that on whatever podcast uh, provider you use. We also have a, a YouTube show, which we haven't released anything for in, in a few years now, but we're working on it, uh, called Remain Seated with Chris Nebergall, where I babble on about the art form of themed entertainment and theme parks. Uh, and I think you can occasionally catch us on episodes of uh, Tony Goldmark's podcast, Escape from Vault Disney. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter uh, at uh, Friendly Catwife. Uh, I post a bunch of stupid stuff on there, and you can check out my uh, my band Inkblot. We play uh, alt indie rock stuff. We have a SoundCloud uh, Inkblot the band, and I think we sound fun. It's a fun band. 
It is a fun band. You should listen. Oh, thank you. Fantastic. So has our train reached Rafiki's planet? We actually have circled Rafiki's planet watch like two or three times during that discussion. We got (laughs) so impassioned about it. We missed the station. I got off this train like an hour ago, and I've been waiting in line for Expedition Everest. I don't know what the rest of you have been doing. Oh, well, great. Well, did they? Hit, well, hopefully they finally fixed the Yeti. No, uh, Joe Rody just retired and didn't fix it. Oh, he championed that so hard. Yeah. Hi, I am Rafiki. You may remember me from the Lion King movies. Welcome to my... I've never been on this ride, but that's what I imagine it's like. Hi, Rafiki. Thanks for letting us come to your petting zoo. <laughs> You're welcome. Enjoy the animals. I am Rafiki the monkey. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.